This is John Finnamore's Souvenir Programme. Ah, hello. I saw your sign. Yeah? Man and van. That's me. No job too big or small. Satisfaction guaranteed. That's right, yeah. Good, good. You see, I have a killer whale. <laughs> a what? An orca, if you prefer. And I need it moved from SeaWorld Bristol to Edinburgh Zoo. Right. She weighs six and a half tonnes and must, of course, be kept in strictly temperature-controlled salt water at all times. Why are you telling me this? Well, it's a big job. Yeah. And for you, of course, no job is too big. <laughs> well, within reason. Oh, within reason? Yeah, obviously within reason, yeah. I mean, you need a specialist for something like that. Well, interestingly, no, I don't. Because I do not, in fact, have a killer whale or, indeed, an orca. Then what what you... I have is a crusading desire to correct false and misleading advertising wherever I live. <laughs> Get out. So I take it you will amend your sign. Come on, clear off your weirdo. To read some jobs, too big. I mean it. Shut off. Wait, I've got another job for you. I don't want to hear it. Get out. No, really, a real job. I'll pay you. What is it? I want you to pick something up for me. What? A packet of crisps. <laughs> a packet of crisps? No job too small. <laughs> Where from? <laughs> what? Oh. Thank you. My pleasure. That'll be 300 quid. <laughs> halt, traveller. In your quest to reach the Sapphire City, you must now pass this test. Before you are two doors. Behind one lies the path you seek. Behind the other, a tiger with a gun. <laughs> In front of each door is a guard. One always lies, the other always tells the truth. You may ask... Oh, I... right, yeah, this one, yeah. You? Hello. If I ask the other guy which door led to the city, which would he say? <sighs> He'd say this one. Then I, right, my friends, will go through the other. Yeah, well done. You know, we really need a new puzzle. Yeah. Yeah, I totally disagree. Honestly, honestly, it's getting ridiculous. Everyone knows the answer these days. You're absolutely wrong. They never know the answer. They always get eaten by the tiger, and it's not annoying at all. <laughs> I mean, that poor tiger hasn't eaten for weeks. And I really love how smug they always are about it. Yeah, me too. Whoever it is pays us to sort of guard these two doors. Really ought to do something about it. No, they shouldn't. It's fine the way it is. Uh, excuse me. Oh, sorry, didn't see you. Halt, traveller, on your... Uh, no, I'm, I'm not actually a traveller. Aren't you? Yes, I am. I'm a traveller seeking the Sapphire City. Right. Well, before you are two doors... Uh, no, sorry. I'm not a traveller. I'm a new guard sent to join you. What? A new guard? We've been told all about a new guard and we're expecting you. <laughs> Don't mind her. She always... Hang on. Are you sure you're not a traveller? Because I'm not allowed to say this to travellers. Yes, I am a traveller. I told you. So what's up with these doors, then? You are a traveller. No. I think he really is a traveller. No, nor do I. <laughs> but if you're a guard, what's your rule? I always tell the truth. Well, that's no good. That's what I do. I always tell the truth. Yeah, me too. I always tell the truth. We can't all tell the truth. She doesn't. She always lies. But I do always tell the truth, so you can't do that. I don't always tell the truth. I alternately tell the truth and lie. Do you? No, I always lie. But... <laughs> but that's not what I always do. Look, how can we work out what your rule really is? Well... Logically, when I said I always lie just now, that's something that could only be said by someone who sometimes lies and sometimes tells the truth. Yes, that's true. No, it's not. No, it's not. Isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> Hang on. Let me start again. Ho there! I seek the path to the Sapphire City. Ah, hello. Right. Uh, you're the first to try our new test. Yes. Before you lie, two doors. Both lead to the Sapphire City, but one is a prettier route. There is no tiger with a gun. Hang on. <laughs> hey, hey, that's fair. I know 
never wanted to be the one to set the puzzle, and I'm always allowed to be. Yes, that's because only I can set the puzzle, otherwise it's confusing. What's going on? One of us always tells the truth, one always lies, and one alternates truth and lies. Yes, that bit's true, but only one of the doors leads to the city, and there is a tiger with a gun. Actually, there's three doors. One leads to a city full of tigers, <laughs> but no guns. One leads to a gun full of tigers, <laughs> but no city, and one leads to Portsmouth. There are 16 doors, two lead to the city, eight lead to one another, one is made of marmalade! Stop it! <laughs> he can see how many doors there are, you idiots! Now he knows you two both lie at least sometimes, so I must always tell the truth. Oh, really? Well, which door leads to the city? Oh, bloody hell, that one. <laughs> right. Hello, this is a Radio 4 book programme of some sort, presumably, and I am its presenter. I don't get a name, it just says presenter. <laughs> and no wonder, because after this bit, it's basically just tell me more and go on for the whole sketch. <laughs> Joining me now is Nicholas Bolton, the editor of a new book, 500 Things to Do Before You're 30. Nicholas Bolton, welcome to the show. Tell me more. <laughs> Thank you, presenter. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, just to pick you up on one thing, it's not actually a new book. It's a new edition of quite an old one. Really? Yes. In fact, we've been publishing this book in some form or other ever since the Bronze Age, when it read in its entirety two things to do before you're 30. One, survive. Two, procreate. Tell me more. Well, this was the version we carried on publishing unchanged for the overwhelming majority of all human history. Eventually, and in relative terms incredibly recently, we added a third thing to do in some markets, try to find a way of not minding too much about death. Go on. Well, these two or three things to do before you're 30 were more than enough of a challenge for almost everyone who ever lived, until just a couple of dozen years ago when incredible advances in first world standard of living meant we could suddenly revise it up to 50 and start making people feel inadequate for not paragliding, swimming with dolphins or going to Bali. <laughs> And that's the version you're reissuing this year? Yes, only it's now 500 things to ensure that not even the most dedicated, time and money rich 20-something can possibly achieve them all. Hmm. So, can we expect a thousand things next year? Well, no, because during the course of this interview, I've become overwhelmed with shame. <laughs> and I've realised that while there's nothing wrong with telling people about exciting or interesting things they might not have thought of doing, it's pretty twisted to turn that into a guilt trip that uses people's natural anxiety about making the best use of their time on earth as a stick to beat them with, and incredibly <laughs> arrogant to set ourselves up as the arbiter of things people must do at all, let alone putting a sodding time limit on it. <laughs> so we're going to go back to basics, call it two things to do before or after you're 30 and give it away free on a postcard. So, so back to survive and procreate? No, because most people who can afford books survive to 30 anyway, and it turns out you don't need to procreate if you don't want to. It's going to read one, be kind, two, have fun. Hi, this is Katie. Leave me a message. Oh, hi, Katie. It's uh, Chris here from the pub. Not, not from the pub. I mean, we met in a pub. I don't live in the pub. <laughs> but my friends would tell you otherwise. No, they wouldn't. I'm a very moderate drinker. <laughs> Though, you know, I'm fun. You know, I can let my hair down. <laughs> What's left of it? <laughs> no, there's plenty left of it. It's just going a bit on the crown. It's not... Anyway, it, it, it's Chris, and I'm... I'm, I'm going to record this again. To re-record your message, press 1. To listen to your messages, press... Oh, hi, Katie, it's Chris here. We met the other night in the pub I sometimes, but not always go to. <laughs> At uh, Ben's birthday. Well, I, I always go to Ben's birthday, but it's not always in the pub. And I go to the pub at times that aren't Ben's birthday, but this wasn't one of those times. It was Ben's birthday and it was in the pub. Well, you know that because you were there. That's where we met. And bloody hell, Chris, pull yourself together. <laughs> to re-record your message, press... 
Oh, hi, Katie. It's Chris here. We met at Ben's birthday. Anyway, look, um, I've no idea if you'd be interested, but I remember you said when we were talking you like music, and, well, I mean, obviously everyone likes music. Sorry, I don't mean that's a stupid thing for you to say. I, I, I just mean it's stupid of me to think that just because you like music you necessarily want to... Oh, shut up, you stupid whittering git! To re-record your... Oh, hi, Katie. It's Chris here uh, from Ben's party. A bit out of the blue, but we were talking about music, weren't we? And I... I've actually got a couple of tickets to that band I was telling you about. Well, I haven't got them yet, because you might say no, but I, I, I could get them if you... Like, I mean, anyone could get them. I'm not saying, hey, I'm amazing, I can get these tickets. I'm not sold out or anything. They're not that popular. I mean, they're good. But for God's sake, what's the matter with you? To re-record your... Oh, hi, Chrissy. it's Kate here. Oh, for... To re-record... Oh, hello. Sorry, I must have the wrong number. Oh... But you must be Katie from Ben's thing. Hi, it's Chris here. Hi, I, sorry, I was trying to ring another Katie I know. But, oh, but actually, since I'm talking to you... No, 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 this is a terrible idea. <laughs> Hi, Katie, it's Chris Callender here. We met at Ben's party. Listen, you know I was telling you about Next to Zero. Well, um, I'm going along to their gig at the Albany on Friday. Just wondered if you'd like to come along. It would be nice to see you again. No worries if you're busy, but give me a call back on this number if you fancy me. It! If you fancy it! <laughs> You have reached the maximum two-minute message length. What? <laughs> what do you mean, two minute? Oh, God. Message saved. No! Please hang up. No! Please no! Hang up. No! Please hang up. Please hang up. And that, my lord, is why my client, a man with no previous criminal record whatsoever, disguised himself with a balaclava helmet and attempted to mug the plaintiff for her phone. <laughs> we are therefore entering a plea of guilty, but come on, seriously, what else could he do? <laughs> One day, Pooh Bear was on his way home with a brand-new jar of honey. <laughs> and he was just deciding whether it was a late elevensy sort of a jar or a little something-before-lunch sort of a jar. And what should he find but all his friends waiting to surprise him? Oh, hello. You're just in time for a little smackerel of something. No, Pooh. There'll be no smackerels of anything today. Pooh, we want to talk to you about your destructive relationship with honey. <laughs> yes. And we've all got together to talk to you about it because we love you. It's called a... What's it called, Al? An interdivention. <laughs> That's right, an interdivention. And we're having one for you, and this is it. Oh, is it like a party? It is very unlike a party, Pooh Bear. It's an opportunity for your friends to talk to you frankly about your honey abuse. Honey abuse? Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm fond of your job. Pooh. Last time you came to my house, you gorged so much honey, you became physically stuck in my doorway. <laughs> For three days. I, 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 I'm sorry, Pooh, but that's not controlled behaviour. Well, you'll take one little incident. It's not just the one incident, Pooh, dear. Eeyore, do you have something to say to Pooh? Hello, Pooh. <laughs> do you remember my birthday? No, no reason why you should, of course, but if you do, you might recall giving me this... What is this, Pooh? Oh, it's a, a useful pot to put things in. Look me in the eye and tell me that's what it is. <laughs> that, that is to say, I... You bought him a jar of honey, didn't you? And on the short trip across the wood to his house, you ate it. You ate your friend's birthday present. Eeyore liked the pot. He said so. Of course I didn't like the pot. I was horribly embarrassed for you. I was just being nice. <laughs> You're not part of all this, surely. Pooh, this is so difficult for me. But you were there for me when I was coming off the haycorns. 
And I need to be here for you now. Pooh, when you can't get your fix, I'm scared of you. <laughs> that time with the balloon. <laughs> Just a little spot of bother. Pooh, you ran out of honey, so you tied yourself to a balloon and tried to steal some from the bees. <laughs> that's not a spot of bother, Pooh. That's the reckless desperation of an addict. <laughs> Come on. Everybody loves my honey-eating. It's endearing. It's comical. I'm sorry, Pooh. It used to be funny how a bear likes honey, but it's not funny anymore. Pooh, the thing is, we're only doing this because we care for you and, well, we don't want to see you go the way of Tigger. <laughs> Tigger? Oh, God, am I like Tigger? Don't you bring Tigger into this. Tigger's just a bouncy boy who likes his strengthening medicine. Kanga, Tigger is a psychotic tiger with a steroid addiction. <laughs> And if that's how people think of me, all right, thank you, friends. This afternoon, I'm throwing away my honey. Hooray. Well done, Pooh. We're sorry to be so hard on you, but we just had to say something, didn't we, Al? Indeed we did, Christopher Robin. It was the heffalump in the room that no one was talking about. <laughs> No, like the other day, my nephew got me to play tennis with him and I was awful. Oh, no. Yeah, he wiped the floor with me. He's only 12. God, poor you. No, I mean, I was never brilliant at it, but I used to play every weekend. I was all right. I suppose you're just out of practice. Well, yeah, and also you'll have put on a lot of weight. <laughs> what? Uh, well, no offence, but you are quite fat now. <laughs> I assume you weren't when you we were playing tennis every week. Sorry, have we met? No. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, uh, yeah, I should have said, I'm the sort of person that likes to speak my mind. Oh. Yes, that's the thing about me. I'm afraid I don't really hold with political correctness. I mean, when you think about it, why should I have to filter what I say because someone else might not like my opinions? No, I just call a spade a spade. Oh, Kate's gone. Oh, well, that's very, um, refreshing, I suppose. I think so. It's more honest, isn't it? Do you find people sometimes get offended? Well, sometimes, yes. But, uh, the way I see it, I speak as I find it. If people don't like it, that's their problem, really. I agree, actually. You're, you're quite right. I'm glad to hear it, because I'm, I'm like kind of a Marmite person, actually. People either love me or hate me. Yeah, I bet they do. <laughs> well, um, if you'll excuse me. What? Well, I need a wee. All right, OK. <laughs> excuse me. So, how do you come to uh, know... Wh what are you doing? Hmm? You said you were going to the loo. No, I didn't. I said I needed a wee. Oh, sorry, I should have said. I'm the sort of person that just wees on the floor. Yeah, that's the thing about me. I'm afraid I don't really hold with going to the loo. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, why should I have to go off to a little room? Because someone might not like my urine. <laughs> I, I just wee where I stand. It's, uh, it's more honest, isn't it? But you're splashing me! Yeah, well, people do get splashed sometimes, but the way I see it, I urinate where I like, and if other people don't like you, that's their problem, really. <laughs> you're disgusting! Yeah, well, I'm kind of like a Marmite-flavoured toothpaste person. People hate me. <laughs> Nineteen seventy-four, Eleven Hodgson Gardens, Letchworth. So, Jamie, what do you want to be when you grow up? So, Mrs. Tank Engine. <laughs> oh, bless him. Oh, you can't be an engine, Jamie, can you? I mean, what job do you want to do? I, 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 I want to be the man who makes the noise of the TARDIS. <laughs> Actually, he's very good. Do your TARDIS noise for Uncle Brian, Jamie. Shy. <laughs> Go on. Vroom, vroom, vroom. 
Oh, very good. Well, what's the TARDIS, Pam? Shh. <laughs> 1983. James, now you're 15, your dad and I really think you should work out what you might want to do after school. I have, actually. Oh, good. What are you thinking? I'm going to be the man that makes the noise of the TARDIS. <laughs> no, James, seriously. If you don't want to know, don't ask me. <laughs> 1985, King Edward IV Grammar School, Richmond. Treadwell, I've been looking at your UCAS form. I see you've only applied to colleges that offer sound engineering. Yes, sir. Well, it's a very limited field. I mean, you've got excellent grades. Why not apply for engineering generally? No, sir, I'm going to be a sound engineer and work in the BBC Radiophonic Workshop and be the man that makes the noise of the TARDIS, sir. <laughs> Are you being cheeky, Treadwell? No, sir. 1989 graduation ceremony, Nottingham University. Congratulations, son. We're very proud of you. First-class degree. Thanks, Mum. Thanks, Dad. Oh, and we're sorry to hear about that show you like. What? <laughs> that space show you always used to watch. We heard on the radio coming down they're not going to make it anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> 1993 graduation ceremony, Warwick University. Congratulations, son. Yes, well done. I mean, it still beats me why you need another degree at all, let alone in media studies. But all credit to you. Another first. So, what's next? Oh, I've got some ideas. <laughs> 1994, Pebble Mill Studios, Birmingham. Well, listen, I like your enthusiasm. Uh, we can offer you an internship, but I'm afraid it'll be unpaid. That's fine. 1996 to 2002. Mr. Treadwell, I'm delighted to say your application has been successful. You start as assistant producer on Tuesday. Jim, we were hoping you could produce this series. Well, if you're sure you want to move to the management side, Jim, you're just the sort of person we need. Overseen by the newly appointed controller of BBC Three, James Treadwell, who was today announced as the new controller of BBC One. 2003, BBC Television Centre. So, uh, thank you for coming in, Russell. I've been looking through your pitch documents. You've got a lot of good ideas. Well, thank you very much. I'm uh, particularly excited. <laughs> Forgive me, though. There's something I'd like to pitch to you. I think it's about time we brought back Doctor Who. <laughs> Doctor? Oh, yes, I mean, that would be my absolute dream job. Good, good. It would need careful handling, though. I mean, for instance, random example, where would you get the noise of the TARDIS from? <laughs> Uh, well, um, well, is the BBC Radiophonic Workshop still going? I'm afraid not, but there's an excellent sound department at BBC Cardiff. Well, there then, I suppose. I'm very pleased to hear you say that. 2004. In a surprise announcement, the controller of BBC One today announced he was stepping down after only two months in the job. <laughs> he will instead be taking up a relatively junior post as overseer of sound production at BBC Cardiff. <laughs> 2005, Cardiff. Hello? Oh, is that Jim? It's Russell here. Uh, Jim, we've just opened the effects package you sent us. I think there's been a mix-up. I don't think so. <laughs> well, listen to this. This is how the TARDIS effect you sent us is coming out. That's right, yes. That's exactly right. Uh, well, I'm sorry, Jim, that won't work at all. Could you do as an alternative? No, that is the noise of the TARDIS, and I am the man that makes it. Well, I'm afraid not, Jim. If that's the best you can do, we're going to have to go elsewhere. What? No! I'm sorry, Jim. No! 
No! No! 2006, Laxley Scenic Railway. Hello, base. This is patrol car Delta Whiskey 04. We've picked up a white male in his 40s trespassing on the railway line. That's right, sir. Walking down the middle of the track, pulling a row of toy trucks. <laughs> Won't give a name, sir. He just says he's a very useful engine. Of course you must. I mean, you've, you've just got to. How can I, Matt? How can I leave you and the kids for so long? Because you'll never get another opportunity like it. it it's not just the job you've always wanted. It's an all-expenses-paid trip to Barbados, for God's sake. I know, I know, but... Six months? I don't think I can, and it's not fair on you. Look, I'll cope. I, I've got some leave saved up. My sister will help out. We'll, we'll make this work somehow. You, you just can't pass this up. I don't know. Tina, you have to. Listen to me. You have to go. Hello? Oh, hi, Matt. It's Paul. Is your wife around? Oh, didn't you hear? She's gone to the West Indies. Oh, Jamaica? Yes, I did. <laughs> Well, since you ask me for a ghost story, I did once hear of a peculiar occurrence, the narration of which may divert you. It began when I dropped in on my club one night. It was the evening of the annual club game of Hey Ho Rumbelow, in which we line up six of the shortest members of the club and attempt to knock them down with the fattest member. <laughs> All without waking the sleepiest member. It is my job on these occasions, as the club's most boring member, to sit in a side room by myself and not talk to anyone. For every 15 minutes I successfully do this, I am rewarded with a try, although curiously tries play no other part in the scoring system. I had just scored my fifth try when I was joined by a losing sportsman from the game next door. He was a tall, lean man with salt and pepper hair and a sandy moustache. I should explain that the forfeits in Hey Ho Rumbelo are predominantly powdery in nature. <laughs> I cannot remember how we got onto the subject of the otherworldly and supernatural. It may be because that's what I always bang on about. <laughs> or it may not. Are you yourself a believer? I asked him, and he shook his head emphatically. But when we had both finished coughing... <laughs> I noticed he seemed suddenly unsure. Mind you, he said, there was one peculiar thing for which I could never find a rational explanation. Intrigued, I urged him to tell his story, and pausing only to comb the icing sugar from his mutton chops, <laughs> he began. Well, I was leaving this very club not two weeks ago, but four years ago. <laughs> it was a cold night, and I reached into my jacket pocket. I tell you this partly because it is germane to my story and partly because I like saying jacket pocket. <laughs> jacket pocket. <laughs> jacket pocket. <laughs> it was my tobacco pouch, I thought, but instead I found a letter. But a letter I had not put there myself and indeed had never seen before. Was it an epistle from the other world? Had it been placed there by a time-travelling future version of myself? Had I picked up the wrong jacket? <laughs> Whatever the explanation, the letter made curious reading. Here is how it went. My dear uncle, my cycling tour continues tolerably well. The weather is unusually hot for February, but then, of course, it is July. <laughs> I have taken lodgings for a few days at a quaint inn by the name of the horse and the other horses. <laughs> 
I intend to do a little angling, a little reading, and a little smack. <laughs> My landlady is a jolly old countrywoman whose cheery smile proclaim her a worthy hostess and whose flowery forearms proclaim her a but indifferent player of Hey Ho Rumbelo. <laughs> One evening, we got to talking, and she told me a story more terrifying and inexplicable than any I have heard. But you shall be the judge, Uncle, for I shall set it down in her own words as best I can. Well, sir, this was the way of it. "'Twas a dark December night, and I was busy in the pantry, panting. <laughs> when all of a sudden, I hears a most terrible banging at the side door, and in bursts old Wilf. Now, everyone knew old Wilf. He was the local ne'er-do-well, poacher and murderer. But he never meant anyone any harm two-thirds of the time. <laughs> and now the poor soul was white as a sheet. I poured him a brandy and helped him to a chair. He drained the glass in one, but still he could not speak. I poured him another brandy and helped him to another chair. <laughs> still he could say nothing. I'd run out of brandy by this time, but I helped him to three or four more chairs. <laughs> and when at last his head was bumping up against the ceiling, he managed to tell his story. And a more blood-curdling tale of terror, I hope so I shall never live to hear the like. This is what he said. I went for a walk and I saw a ghost. That's all he said, sir. <laughs> and all he ever would say so long as he lived. <laughs> that he went for a walk and saw a ghost. And so concluded the woman's tale. <laughs> and for my part, a most remarkable one I find it, involving as it does a man who went for a walk and saw a ghost. <laughs> Your affectionate nephew, Cyril. And that was the end of the letter. I put it back in my jacket pocket. Jacket pocket? Jacket pocket. <laughs> and never thought of it till now, when you, sir, reminded me of the curious tale of the man who went for a walk and saw a ghost. Said my new friend. <laughs> so there you have it. Be you devout believer or no less devout skeptic, from henceforth you must find some accommodation in your convictions for the fact that you once met a man who met a man, who found a letter from a man, who stayed with a woman, who knew a man, who went for a walk and saw a ghost. <laughs> Although, there is a sequel to this tale. In point of fact, I saw the same man again the next night. Ah, I'm glad to catch you. He said. I looked at that letter again, you know, when I got home. There was a P.S. I'd never noticed before. It read, P.S., as I was on my way to post this, my landlady stopped me in the hall and said... Oh, sir, my husband says I got that story I told you last night wrong. According to him, old Wilf said... I went for a walk and I saw a goat. <laughs> he said... Sorry about that, sir, he saw a goat. She said... Sorry about that, uncle, he saw a goat. It read... Sorry about that, old man, he saw a goat. He said... <laughs> so they were... Never think that we are alone, ladies and gentlemen, for tonight you have heard proof positive that this world of ours is also walked by goats! <laughs> John Finnamore's Souvenir Programme was written by and starred John Finnamore with Simon Kane, Carrie Quinlan and Laurie Lewin. The producer was Ed Morrish. The show was based on an original idea. Why not listen back and see if you can spot it? 